0: I'm Dr. Dorian Deschauer, Associate Editor for the Canadian Medical Association Journal. We have for you today another episode in the Philosophers on Medicine series. In this episode, Jonathan Fuller interviews Dr. Jeremy Simon, Emergency Medicine Physician and Bioethicist at Columbia University in New York City. They chat about diseases. Are they part of a natural world, or are they a construct created by humans? There are interesting arguments to be made on both sides of the discussion. Dr. Simon wrote an accompanying humanities article published in CMAJ, which you can find on our website. We hope you enjoy this conversation.
1: I had a cold last winter, and so did countless other people. We had sore throats and runny noses, and maybe even a cough. At first glance, it seems hard to deny that the common cold is real, but that's exactly what a disease anti-realist would deny and there are some philosophical arguments to back them up. Not to be outdone, the disease realist has some philosophical arguments at their disposal too. But what does it mean to ask whether diseases are real? And are diseases real or not? Today's consultation is with philosopher Jeremy Simon, associate professor at the Columbia University Medical Center. Jeremy Simon, thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here. We're going to be discussing the question, are diseases real? And it occurs to me that some people are likely to disagree pretty strongly about the answer. But at least sometimes this might be due to confusion as to what we mean by disease. So one person might say, just look at the definitions or diagnostic criteria for diseases, which seem to be shifting all the time, variable between groups, and clearly negotiated by groups of people at consensus conferences. So from that perspective, they might think, of course, diseases aren't real. They're obviously created by physicians. But a physician working on the front lines might object, I mean, excuse me, but I see real diseases every day. I test for them, I treat them, I intervene on them, and sometimes I even watch people die from them. And if that's not real, then I'm not sure what is. To help clarify these kinds of discussions, you emphasize a distinction between disease types and disease tokens. So could you tell us what that distinction is? Sure, it's a standard
2: distinction philosophy, at least a form of it. Uh, type is general category, and the token is the specific. Uh, a simpler example, though not necessarily one that nobody would argue with, from various philosophical perspectives, is uh, take uh, dog. You have your dog Rover is a token dog, as is uh, somebody else's dog Layla. Dogs. The, the the general concept of dog is is a type, however and each of these tokens, Layla, Rover, are members or tokens of the type dog. So too, uh, with diseases, putting aside any other complications we might get to, we can have the disease tuberculosis about which there's a chapter in a medical textbook uh, or a diagnostic category for billing purposes or other coding purposes. And then there is the individual token of tuberculosis which you would diagnose in a particular person. That would be a token. The patient's tuberculosis
1: would be a token of the type tuberculosis. So I guess if I had tuberculosis and you had tuberculosis and we're the only two people sitting in this room, you could say there are two disease tokens of tuberculosis in this room. There's only one disease type. tuberculosis. Exactly. I will reassure you, though, that I don't, to the best of my knowledge, have tuberculosis.
2: Uh, and I didn't as of four months ago, the last time I was tested either.
1: Okay, so getting to the philosophical bits now, what does a realist about diseases believe? And what does an anti-realist believe in broad strokes? So broadly, a realist believes that
2: diseases are part of the underlying structure of the universe, as it were. So that much like a physicist might, most people would be willing to say that there are, really are electrons out there. They aren't just things that physicists thought up Uh, and created out of their own minds or whatever. They actually out there and physicists went and discovered them and learned about them, Uh, but they were put there by God or the Big Bang or whatever. And the only way to get at the real universe and to really understand it uh, is to understand electrons and quarks, etc. So a realist about diseases will believe that diseases are, in that respect, like electrons they're out there and are part of the universe. So um, to take it back to the type token distinction, a disease realist would say about a particular disease token in a patient that there's an actual fact of the matter, what part of what's going on with the patient is part of their disease. So if you have a patient who has a cough and a runny nose and a headache, and an ingrown toenail, one could conceivably put them all together and try to explain them together, but a disease realist might want, in this particular case, might well say, no, the cough, the headache and the runny nose are part of the actual disease that he has, which for our purposes, we might call an upper respiratory infection, although we're not quite there yet in our discussion, Uh, Whereas the ingrown toenail just isn't part of it, and any attempt to say, no, this patient has an illness which consists of cough, headache, runny nose, and ingrown toenail is simply mistaken in the same way that one who thinks that half an electron plus half a proton that happen to be next to each other, or maybe proton and neutron would be a better example for physical purposes are some sort of underlying physical entity about which there are laws of nature. There aren't. There are laws about protons, laws that neutrons follow, but there's no law that half a proton and half a neutron follow. With regard to disease types, a realist would say that the individual tokens that each person has or that various patients have, which, as we've already said, are themselves delineated by underlying facts of true facts of the universe are themselves combined into categories or types, again based on underlying structures of the universe. And to go back to the proton and neutron example, not only can't you take half a proton and half a neutron together and say anything particularly interesting in a fundamental physical sense, you are required to, as it were, lump all protons together as a given type. You might not know whether something's a proton yet. And a couple hundred years ago, we didn't even know what protons were. But in fact, the way physics understands it now, that's a necessary way to approach the universe for realist. And so too, if we took two patients in the room, each having similar symptoms, uh, and they were infected, we found in their lungs or in their sputum some uh, mycobacterium tuberculosis, those two disease tokens are part of a disease type which is again set out by the universe and it would be wrong to separate them and lump one of them together with a patient who's got a pain in their shoulder from uh, destruction of the cartilage in the same way that it would be wrong to try to put a neutron and a proton together into the same category. An anti-realist will not think that these types and tokens are given to us by the structure of the universe. But in the case of medicine, we'll think that they are what's often referred to as socially constructed. That is to say, there is no fact of the matter, at least in an objective sense that a realist would like, about which of a patient's various symptoms or other or physiological derangements are part of a single disease token that they have. You can put the hangnail together with the respiratory symptoms or not. There'll be various. There may be various criteria as to when you would would do it, but whether or not you do it isn't determined by the underlying structure of the universe. And the truth of a statement about it isn't. Uh, similarly, putting patients together or individual disease tokens together into a larger group, for an anti-realist, is again not something that's driven by the underlying structure of the universe. It's rather, again, something that's chosen by at least certain people under certain circumstances to serve certain purposes. As a slogan, you can say that realists believe that diseases are discovered and anti-realists believe that they are invented.
1: Could one be a realist about disease tokens, but an anti-realist about disease types at the same time? In other words, a mixed realist anti-realist. You
2: could, although you couldn't do it in the other direction. But in the direction that you ask about, realist about tokens and not about types, uh, you could. That would be saying that for an individual patient, there is a fact of the matter about what's going on with him, how many different processes there are, and how many different things you might have to do to address them, but not think that the disease in one patient And the disease in another patient are ever joined together in any sort of fundamental or physical sense, law of the universe sense. They can be grouped together in various ways to serve various purposes. But the entities, the diseases that you're grouping together, the individual ones are delineated objectively.
1: In the case of rabbits and dogs, it seems pretty clear what we mean when we say that Those animal tokens are real. They're living, breathing, fleshy things. But for the disease token realist, what exactly is a disease token?
2: Yes, that's uh, a problem for the disease realist. Perhaps one of the biggest problems for them is what sort of thing is a disease token? The most naively appealing approach to it would be to say that they're actually a sort of a thing that enters into the body, which you could think of or which the best example of perhaps is the sense that uh, diseases are an evil spirit the old idea that diseases are an evil spirit that enters the body and this, this evil spirit was the disease token and it entered your body and now you had whatever it was epilepsy but that means that the disease is actually something that you could remove from the person and while in some cases might seem that we could remove all of a tumor from a body, even then we are still moving, we're taking out part of the the disease part of the person. The tumor cells were still the person's cells, they were just diseased cells. And if you go anywhere beyond something like that, it's even harder to imagine what it means to take the disease and hold it outside the body and you could put it in and take it out. And when it's in, the person has the disease, and when you take it out, they don't. Uh, so that's not really a feasible approach. So you have to go to somewhat more abstract ways of thinking about uh, diseases. And I think there are three main ones. One is to think of a disease as a bundle of signs and symptoms that a patient may feel or display. And these are fairly high level macroscopic things. Some of them are even subjective, uh, the symptoms that is. The signs are usually things at a fairly high level, although one might include in signs uh uh, something like anemia which is at least at a much lower level of loss of blood cells a second way of approaching it is to think of a disease or to conceive of a disease as being uh, an underlying physical state of an organism uh, where that under where the level at which you look at that underlying physical state can be defined differently depending on how you're approaching it it might mean you might have to go down to the molecular level or the atomic level or the cellular cellular level Uh, But that's uh, another way to conceive of a disease. And the third way is to conceive of diseases as a process, which is to say that it's either looking at it at the signs and symptoms level or the underlying state level, but you can't look at it as a given moment. You you have to see the process develop over time and change in the patient's uh, experiences or symptoms, signs, or their physiological state. Those are the three main ways that one might define a disease token as a realist.
1: What is one of the more plausible arguments for realism about diseases out there?
2: So I take it that the most plausible, strongest argument for the realist is what's often called the no miracles argument. It's usually used in general philosophy of science, but they can be applied to medicine fairly easily. Medicine's clearly, at least in the 20th and 21st centuries, successful in treating certain diseases, curing people of certain diseases. And if diseases are real, we can explain how we learned more about them, learned to apply therapies to them, discovered new diseases when people came up with new problems, say Legionnaire's disease in the 70s, and then went about and found cures for them. There are things out there that we can discover, study, and affect. For the realist, it becomes, as the title, as the name of the argument suggests, a miracle that we were able to do any of this. If these aren't real things out there, if these are just socially constructed entities, then how is it that we were able to find a cure, one drug that treats so many different people with the same disease, if the only thing that connects these people is some decision out there, as opposed to some underlying biological fact of the matter. Of course there are responses to the numerical argument it's hardly as just as with any philosophical argument hardly
1: dispositive. Just as Legionnaire's disease was only a category that appeared in the second half of the 20th century there are other categories of disease that seem to come and go and likewise our understanding of particular diseases has also changed over time. So couldn't one object that Well, look, if we do, in fact, aim for a correct understanding of diseases and correct disease categories, then we must have gotten it wrong lots of times in the past because our understanding and our disease categories have kept changing. And thus, what's to stop us from worrying that we might be wrong now, that our current disease categories and our current understanding of diseases might be incorrect?
2: Well, there is nothing to assure us of that. But the disease realist, and in this he's in a somewhat better position than the general realist, doesn't really have to worry about that. Uh, first of all, there's no commitment to the fact that our current 21st century medicine is exactly right. And second of all, the disease realist won't say that every disease necessarily that we use now is real, that is to say is a correct perception of the medical truth of the matter, all that he needs to say is that the ones that we're successful at treating, we have evidently identified correctly. And it is that correct identification that has allowed us to treat them. And those that we are not yet able to treat and haven't really cracked, perhaps we are wrong in identifying them as a disease.
1: And we'll discover later on that they don't form a Group. So, if I'm understanding you correctly, the disease realist doesn't have to claim that we're currently correct about all our disease categories and all our disease tokens, but they do hold that the best explanation for some of the success of some of our disease categories and understandings of disease is best explained by the reality of these tokens and these categories.
2: Uh, yes, exactly. Although perhaps they might not put all the sums that you put into that sentence i think they think it's the best explanation for our successes um, perhaps not all of them but by and large um, it's the best explanation which is why that's often referred to as inference to the best explanation
1: the anti-realist on the other hand believes that even in those cases where we're successful at let's say intervening on disease and curing or treating disease There's another explanation for why we're successful, that doesn't rely on the reality, the underlying reality of those disease tokens and categories. Is that right?
2: The first thing they might do, and this didn't actually rely on what we've been saying until now, is they might deny that the apparent process progress is actually progress. Again, I'm not going to make that argument here, but how do you measure this progress? What is it progress? If you're measuring progress by lifespan, a lot of that had to do with decreased infant mortality not much of which I suspect had to do with identifying real diseases and much more to do with general hygienic and nutritional improvements, which don't uh, rely on disease realism. Uh, So you have to define what the progress is that you've been making, and then you have to really demonstrate that it relies on disease realism. Uh, The other thing that they would say is, and this would be particularly somebody who takes what I would call medical instrumentalism, is to say, well, no there aren't real structures out there but we designed these disease types that we identified we identified and designed them specifically because they do allow us to progress and identify and to understand what's going on in the world best we could have done it in any way it turns out that there are better ways and worse ways Uh, There's nothing underlying that forces us to uh, to structure it in a particular way, but there are better ways and worse ways, and we've chosen better ways because we tried really hard. And that has allowed us to help people feel better and to get rid of their diseases in the way that we define them, even though we aren't identifying real diseases.
1: That explains how the anti-realist might account for the success of medical science or the alleged success of medical science, according to some of the disease realists. But what would be one of the positive arguments in favor of anti-realism about diseases? Why might someone find that view to be plausible?
2: Well, as you recall, I said that realists have a bit of a problem in identifying what a real disease token is. And the truth of the matter is also in identifying disease types although I didn't use the term, disease realists basically are saying that diseases form natural kinds. And the interesting thing is that anti-realists, by and large, don't seem to come up with many very strong arguments, in my opinion. What they have is a strong motivation and a forensic approach. By strong motivation, I mean the motivation that any physician who encounters multiple patients with the same disease, has in saying, I know we give them all the same diagnosis, but they're all so different. Every patient, no patients have exactly the same symptoms. No patients have exactly the same findings on pathology or on blood tests or the same vital signs. And no patients have exactly the same underlying molecular state. So whatever a ca- approach you have to diseases as a realist, they're not entirely evident in clinical practice. In fact, one's hard-pressed to actually see real individual disease types that combine different people. That is to say, tokens that are the same as each other in the same way that some species of rabbit are pretty much very similar to each other, and electrons are basically identical to each other. Diseases don't really seem uh, to do that, nor And and for that reason, it's hard to see them as forming a natural kind, as the realist wants them to do, Uh, nor in looking at a patient, although we often conceptualize their individual disease of tuberculosis, and I think about their lungs and the cavitary lesions and the MTB uh, that's infecting them, it's still hard to see on the token level what exactly, what part of them is the disease, where is it? So... That's the motivation. The, the anti-realist, the social constructivist, in medical terms I take them to be basically synonymous, I better say in philosophy of medicine, says, I don't really see it there. And the forensic approach is that the anti-realist feels that the realist has the burden of proof. The realist has to prove, according to the anti-realist, that there are real diseases. And it seems to me that the realists have accepted that burden of proof, both because of the, they generally, as I said, go to greater lengths to give detailed, strong philosophical arguments to their position. And second of all, because I think they too realize that diseases are not obviously the type of thing that form natural kinds like elementary particles, nor even seem to form natural kinds, albeit debatable ones like species of animals. And I think that that's the strongest case for the anti realists the fact that the realists have to come up with a good explanation and may not have done so. What's your view on the matter? Are diseases real? So officially, my view is somewhere in between, uh, in that I developed uh, what I call—I well, don't call it constructive realism. Ronald Geary calls it constructive realism, and I apply it to medicine, whereby. We do construct diseases, but we are limited in the disease types that we can construct by the underlying nature of the world, such that it doesn't give a unique way of approaching medicine or physics, but it gives a limited number of ways and allows you to kind of split the difference. That's as the philosopher. As a clinician, which is how I'm usually more, more hours of the week spent thinking about it, I waffle back and forth for the reasons that there's a debate here. I see patients and I can't quite put them together in a real type. On the other hand, I read textbooks about tuberculosis and about cystic fibrosis and about cancer. I don't read individual textbooks about any of those, but I read papers and articles and chapters about these individual things, and I can't really make sense of that as a practicing physician
1: without thinking of them as real. But that might be purely psychological. Jeremy
0: Simon, it's been real. Thank you. That was Jonathan Fuller, who has a doctorate degree in philosophy of medicine and is also a graduating medical student at the University of Toronto. He was speaking with Dr. Jeremy Simon, emergency medicine physician and bioethicist at Columbia University in New York City. For more podcasts in the Philosophers on Medicine series, stay tuned to CMAJ Podcasts or visit Jonathan Fuller's website philosophersonmedicine.com. To read the humanities article by Dr. Jeremy Simon, visit cmaj.ca. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to CMAJ Podcasts on Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. While you're there, you can browse and listen to our many past episodes, and you can leave us a rating. I'm Dr. Dorian Deschauer, Associate Editor for CMAJ.